Heavenly Father, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give to us. And what we are not, please make us. In your Son's holy name, amen. So this week, we're going to start a small little series about what it means to be lukewarm Christian. And then next week, we're going to talk about what is, how do we fix that? Right, Because we look and we see in Revelation that Jesus is speaking against a church that's lukewarm. We see in Zephaniah that God is saying, listen, I need to matter. He, he said in Zephaniah, You're, God's not going to do good for me. God's not going to do ill for me. God is irrelevant to their lives. And Zephaniah is saying, God is bringing the Babylonians not to punish you, but so that through the exile to the Babylonians, you will need me and you'll return to me. And so God did not send the Babylonians to conquer Judah because he was mad and he needed to make a point. He said, you've pushed me to such a place that the only way you'll return to me is if I take your land. And so this morning... We want to look at the profile of the lukewarm as mentioned here in Revelation. So before we dig in, I'm going to give you your three points, so have your pens ready. But before we do, we need to walk through this a little bit. Like I said, we need to approach this as if it's a letter, as an epistle. What, what does an epistle look like when I say that? When we look at Galatians, Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, and he would say, I, Paul, the servant of God, under the authority of Jesus Christ, and then he would share. And then at the end, he would mention that, hey, now, thank you, to, he would mention individuals. But at the time, the author would write their credentials, would say, this is who I am, this is why I'm writing, this is why you need to listen to me. Okay? So as we look at the text, recognize that this is an epistle. This is not something that we need to interpret as something that will happen in the future. This is something that, when it was written, it occurred at that time. And our job is to try and understand how that church would have received that and then figure out how we can apply what was being told to the church in Laodicea to our lives today. Does that make sense? I want to follow. So let's take a quick look. The first verse of the text says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. So there was an angel that was given to each one of these churches. I don't want to go all into that. That will get us murky. You can, I, I encourage you to go study that on your own. You'll find it rewarding. We don't have the time for that this morning. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful true witness the origin of God's creation. So did you catch it? Who's writing this letter? The author of this letter is Jesus. The words of the Amen. The faithful, true witness. The one from whom everything that was created originated. 
I want to take, if you look at Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, it says God created all things in and through Jesus, and there was nothing that created that wasn't created by Jesus. So when we think of the Old Testament, when we think of God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus created the heavens and the earth too. Jesus was not a passive observer in the issue of creation. This is Jesus speaking to the church. So when we hear Jesus speaking to us, we should pay extra special attention to what he has to say. Because what he has to say is of the ultimate, ultimate uh, need. That's ultimately what we need to hear. So here is Jesus speaking to us. And we'll go into the text. So I want to give you three truths about the lukewarm Christianity. One, lukewarm Christianity is repulsive to Jesus. Truth number two, lukewarm Christians are delusional about their spiritual lives. And three, lukewarm Christians are being pursued by Jesus. So let's start. Lukewarm Christians are repulsive to Jesus. Look at verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Remember who's talking to us? It's Jesus, right? Jesus comes in and he says, I know your deeds, I know your motives, all those things that you've hidden that you wouldn't want anyone to know, I know them. Those secret sins that you've never confessed, I know. If I was in a seat, I would be squirming. I'm standing up, so you're seeing my little squirms, it's hard to tell. Like, Jesus knows. But then he says, you're lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not red hot boiling over in your love and your passion to serve me. You're not denying me. You could be frozen. You could have your heart cold against me. You're just kind of in the middle. You're lukewarm. So we have to understand the context. Remember, we have to understand what this meant to the original hearers. So if we did a geography lesson, so Laodicea was a very wealthy place. It was cosmopolitan. You would go, that's where all the people, the Kardashians would have lived in Laodicea, right? Like, this was the place to be. Like they, uh, so, But to the north was a place called Hierapolis. And Hierapolis was a, a really important place because they had these hot springs that they would use for medicinal purposes. So about six miles up the road, that's where people would go. Sick people would go there to be treated, right? And so you could go up to Hierapolis and they would help you with these hot springs. But then what do the springs do? They go south, okay? But then just south of Laodicea was... Colossae, which is where the church was that Paul wrote the book to the Colossians. 
and they had these like cold springs, okay? And so here's Laodicea right in between the hot springs of Hierapolis and the cold springs of, of Colossae. So when Jesus says, you're lukewarm, when they went to take drinks of water, they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have the cooling systems that we have, the water just wasn't quite right. They understood what it meant to have tepid water. My daughter works at Starbucks. When you go into Starbucks, what do they always ask you? You, you order your drink, whatever your flavor is. They say, do you want it hot or do you want it cold? And you, you share what you want. Now, in this case, cold is not a good thing. Okay, so when you go to Starbucks, it's okay to get an ice drink, but in the case that Jesus is saying, cold means you're cold to me, you've turned your heart away from you, you're denying me, you have no love for me. But when I get a nice hot cup of coffee and then I get into doing some work and then I take a drink and realize it's been sitting there a while and it's cooled off, I just kind of like spit it back into the cup, right? Because no one wants room temperature coffee it's gross <laughs> and what jesus is saying to us what jesus is saying to the church in laodicea i would rather have you completely deny me than to claim my name and act like the world if you're going to put the jesus shirt on then act like I do. If you want to say that you're following me, then actually follow me. Don't just pretend. Actually do it. Because Jesus would prefer total denial to shared love. That's what Jesus said. He says, no one can serve two masters. You will either serve one and hate the other. In that time, he was talking about money. But we can't serve two masters. Jesus is not about divided loyalties. And what he's saying to you, friends, and what he's saying to me, is there's only one person to serve, and that's Jesus. And if you choose to have dual loyalties, you are choosing to forsake me, and that is repulsive to me. So, lukewarm Christianity is repulsive to Jesus. Secondly, lukewarm people are delusional about their spiritual lives. Let's look at this. Verse 17, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Did you catch that? You think you've got everything, but you don't. You see, lukewarm people don't know that they're lukewarm. They think they're doing good. In fact, when we look at the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, people will come and say, Lord, didn't we heal people in your name? And didn't we feed the poor? And didn't we help the people that were in prison? And Jesus will say, away from me, I never knew you. 
that it is not about the things we do. It's about the relationship that we have with Jesus. That all the things that I do, all the good things, I could have a list of good deeds a mile high, but if I am not right with Jesus, it doesn't mean anything to him. So these, the church at Laodicea thinks they're rich. And Jesus says, you're not, you're poor. He says, I don't need anything. He says, you're wretched. Jesus is drawing a contrast between what they think they are and what they really are. Friends, it's not just that lukewarm people don't know that they're lukewarm, but everyone else doesn't know that they're lukewarm. I can't tell you whether you're lukewarm today. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I am just standing here and you're all on fire. And, you know, the term that I want to use, I'm trying to hold up a mirror because I see that in my own heart. I have lukewarm tendencies myself. But I can't tell you the state of your heart. That's between you and Jesus. But when we think about this, let's go to the upper room, okay? So Jesus has got the table laid out and the disciples are there. They're having their last meal before Jesus is going to go to the garden and be arrested. Jesus looks at the 12 and he says, one of you will betray me. And they're like, whoa. And he says, it's the one whose hand I'm touching. And he grabs Judas by the hand looks at him in the eye and says, what you must do, do quickly. And Judas leaves. Of course, looking back, we all are like, of course it's Judas. But when we put ourselves in the mo that moment, Peter says, Jesus, is it me? John, the one who... Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved says, Jesus, is it me? Am I going to be the one betrayed? Because it wasn't obvious to them that Judas was the betrayer. In fact, it says that they thought Judas was just going ahead to make preparations like he always did. When we look at Acts chapter 1 where they're talking about a restoration and filling the role that Judas had. It says, Judas was one of our number and he shared in our ministry. Do you know that the one who betrayed Jesus was one of us? It wasn't a Roman centurion. It wasn't anyone else. It was someone who was the closest to Jesus. Judas saw the blind see. He saw the lame walk. He saw lepers healed. And yet, no one had a clue that it was him. I say this because it is a stern warning. This is a, should be startling that we look into our own hearts, that we check ourselves, we check our motives, because... I don't want to be Judas. 
I don't want to betray Jesus. So how many of you have ever gone on Web, WebMD? You go on, you got some ailments, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go to WebMD. How many of you, okay, let's see who's honest. How many of you go on there way too much? You're like, I've got a hangnail. Let's see, type in, right? Like, okay, like nobody, okay, just me. All right, so, okay, so. If I go on WebMD, I'm trying to figure out what I'm feeling. They're going to go questions, right? Like, what's the severity of the headache? You're having a headache. Is it an overarching headache? Is it a splitting headache? Is it sharp pain, dull pain? Like, what is going on? When you're analyzing the symptoms, you have to be honest about what the symptoms are, right? If... I go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, how severe is the pain? And I'm like crying because it's the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And I tell, oh, it's a four. <laughs> right? Because I'm like, I know my leg is broken in three spots, but I don't want surgery. <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, it's not that bad. I can make it. Right? If I'm not honest about the symptoms, then I'll never get the treatment that I need. If I'm not honest about the state of my spiritual life, then it's never going to be fixed. So I want to read something for you all this morning just to give us an idea on the symptoms. This is a book called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. I recommend this. You could probably run to Goodwill and find it for $3 or order it online, something. It is a wonderful book. But in this, he has a chapter called The Profiles of the Lukewarm. And so I'm just going to read some symptoms that he writes and take time to honestly assess your heart. Lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It is what is expected of them. What they believe good Christians do, so they go. Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they are in conflict. They desire to fit in both at church and outside of the church. They care more about what people think of their actions, like church attendance and giving, than what God thinks of their hearts and lives. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They're merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Lukewarm people don't really believe this new life that Jesus offers is better than the old sinful life. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and he is indeed part of their lives, but only part. They give him a section of their time, their money, and their thoughts, but he isn't allowed to control their lives. Lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without requiring too much of them. Lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. This focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and risking for God. 
Lukewarm people don't live by faith. Their lives are structured so they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. They have their savings account. They don't need God to help them. They have their retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life God would have them live. They have a life figured and mapped out. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Their refrigerators are full, and for the most part, they are in good health. The truth is their lives wouldn't be much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. And lukewarm people probably drink and swear less than average, but besides that, they aren't really very different from your typical unbeliever. They equate their partially sanitized lives with holiness, but they couldn't be more wrong. I did not read those to you, like I said, to point a finger at any of you. I read those to you because those are things that I can look at my own self and say, wow, is that me? Just like the disciples said to Jesus, is it me? Is that my heart? Friends, the first step to fixing the lukewarm lifestyle is to admit that's where we're at. The first thing for me to do is admit that there's things in my life that I've not given over to Jesus. That even if it's, I do mostly follow Jesus, that means I'm still holding something. And it's a complete and total surrender to what he wants without any other concern about what you all think. What anyone thinks other than Jesus. So the lukewarm life is repulsive to Jesus. Secondly, lukewarm people are delusional about their spiritual lives. And third, lukewarm people are pursued by Jesus. Listen, I'm going to read some of this text. Listen really carefully. Listen really carefully to what it says. Therefore, I counsel you to buy me gold refined by the fire so that you can be rich and white robes to clothe you and keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. May see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. So be earnest and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. So here's Jesus. He's just pronounced with a, a firm intensity his desire to have the church at Laodicea return to him. He's, he's been hard with them. He said, this is what you think you are. This is what you really are. But then look at what he says. He doesn't say, now go think about it. Go sit in the corner and think about what you've done. And then come back to me later and figure out. He says, no, come to me because I'm counseling you. I want to tell you what you need to do. He says, come get gold from me so you can take your poor spiritual lives and become rich. 
Come to me, and I'll give you clothes to cover your nakedness. Because remember, they're naked and they're poor from the beginning. And he says, no, 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 come to me. I'll give you gold so you won't be poor. I'll give you clothes so you won't be naked. And then come to me, and I'll give you salve for your eyes so you can see. So you won't be blind. Jesus says, here's the things that I see for you. Here's things that I'm concerned about. Here's attitudes and behaviors and motives in your heart that I see that I'm really upset with, I'm discouraged, I'm repulsed by. But then he says, come to me and let me fix it. How great is our Savior! He says, here's it. Here's all the ways that you have been lukewarm to me. He says, let me help you fix it. So you see, Jesus is not one to just leave us in our sin. He's not one that just lets us sit and wallow and say, well, you made that choice. I'm going to let you live with it. He said, I'm going to come to earth I'm going to be born as a baby and I'm going to live on this earth and then I'm going to be crucified. They're going to bury me and then on the third day I'm going to come back to life and I'm going to carry the sin of the world on my shoulders so that we, that we could have those things in our lives fixed by Jesus. He's ready to help us. This is, this is not a hopeless situation. Jesus said, I am the great physician. And he said, Jesus, what, like, why, like, why are you hanging out with all those tax collectors and sinners? Why are you going to Matthew's house? He's a bad dude. He probably rode a motorcycle. And he says, why are you hanging with them, Jesus? I'm sorry to you motorcycle risers out there. Why are you doing that, Jesus? And he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. The great physician doesn't do us any good if we don't recognize our illness. But Jesus says, come to me. And then look at the last verse. Look at the verse. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will eat with you and you with me. Jesus isn't talking to unbelievers. He is talking to the people that sit here. The people that say, yes, I follow Jesus. This is the church that he's speaking to. That it is people who are wonderful church-going people who Jesus is standing at the door pounding, saying, please let me in. Because Jesus wants to have fellowship with you. Jesus wants to be close to you. The God who created everything wants to be close to you. Friends, The answer here 
is found in the verses. Be earnest. Be honest. Go before God and say, God, show me those things in my life. Show it to me, Lord. I want to see it. And then once God reveals to you those attitudes, behaviors, motives in your heart, repent. Be earnest and repent. And when we mean repent, it's not just, God, I'm sorry that I did that. Repentance involves a turning. It's I'm going this direction and I turn and I go in a different direction. Be earnest and repent. Friends, God loves you. He cares about you so much that he sent his son. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote the book Cost of Discipleship, says that if we live a life with dual loyalties, it's as if we deny the incarnation of Jesus. It's as if we're saying that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that God came and walked among us. So friends, that's what I want you to do this week. Let's go and let's be honest with God. Let him teach us. Let him show us. And here's the challenge that I would like to lay out to you. So let's, the challenge this week is read each of the seven churches this week. Just once a day, just read one of the churches and look at what it says and allow God to speak to you. And when we dig into God's word and we allow him to speak to us, we'll see that he will. And next week, we'll talk about more. So this week was an initial consultation, right? This is, we heard about the symptoms, we got the diagnosis, and sometimes when the doctor tells us what's wrong, we don't like that so much. I know I don't. But then when we accept the diagnosis, then we can begin to heal. And so if you'll join us next week, we'll talk about the way to take the lukewarm life and boil it over with passion for Jesus. So I hope you'll, you'll join us next week for that. But let me say a prayer, and then we'll continue our worship service. Father God, I just pray that this morning we would be earnest and honest with the state of our hearts. And Lord, if there's any sin or wickedness within me, Lord, reveal that to me so I can turn from it and turn to you.